There are a million reasons why it's a big deal, but the biggest reason is he is the first celebrity to get a role this big. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, June 21st. Last night in Paris, Louis Vuitton rolled out a much-hyped fashion line under the vision of its new men's creative director, Pharrell Williams. The music and style icon is the successor to the beloved Virgil Abloh at the LVMH house. And as Lauren explains, the expectations for Pharrell in the world of fashion are higher than Snoop Dogg on a Neptune's track. And later, Bill Cohan is here to talk about Elon Musk's money troubles at Twitter and whether it's possible the company will be put into involuntary bankruptcy. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I'm joined today on The Powers That Be by Lauren Sherman to talk about someone who's really been a part of my life for 20 years because I'm a, I'm a Virginia boy. And this guy, he started out with the Clips and the Neptunes in Virginia. Shout out to 757 area code Pharrell Williams, who has long since really moved past being like a pop star. And now he's just sort of a cultural influencer. But most importantly, He is now the men's creative director at Louis Vuitton. And last night, they rolled out a whole new men's fashion line in Paris. It was much talked about. Lauren, why did they hire Pharrell? And are the expectations just massive here? Massive, massive, massive. So Louis Vuitton is the biggest luxury brand in the world. They generate more than $20 billion a year in sales. So LVMH, the company that owns Louis Vuitton that we've talked about before, they own 75 different luxury brands across a bunch of different categories. They don't break out their fashion brands revenue, but last January, they said Louis Vuitton is has surpassed $20 billion in sales to kind of prove to the market that it's the biggest. Chanel last year did $17 billion, just to give you a sort mm. of sense. A lot of the really big brands that you know, like Hermes, Gucci, things like that are between like an eight and $14 billion. They are far and wide the biggest brand. And they got there through a million different avenues, building for the last 20 years. Bernard Arnault acquired the business in the late 80s through means that we don't need to get into here. But mm-hmm. In the late 90s, he hired a designer named Mark Jacobs to design the women's wear and started up to build up the business, which had been mostly a luggage business into a handbag and clothing company. They still don't sell a ton of clothes, but they sell a ton of everything else. And so in the mid-2010s, they hired Virgil Abloh, the designer behind Off-White, to design their men's 
collection and it totally changed the business. They were already giant. They were probably the biggest or close to being the biggest in the world at that time. He's a great product designer. He was designing things a lot of different types of people liked, but he also Mm -hmm. just brought in an entirely new audience, a younger audience, a more diverse audience. He was the first American Black person to be a creative director at a major brand. There was a Black person who was a designer at Givenchy. There had been Black people who had been at the top of fashion houses in the past, few and far between, but Virgil kind of changed the game and he expanded the Louis Vuitton universe. So he sadly passed away in November, 2021 of a rare cancer. It was very, very quiet. And Louis Vuitton and parent company LVMH took a lot of time to hire someone. There were a lot of young names in the mix, like a, a Grace Wales Bonner and Martine Rose. These are people who are really interesting up and coming designers, but to manage at the top of a house like this, you have to not only be a creative genius or an interesting creative person, but you also need to be able to kind of run a business in some ways. And so mm. they took their time. There was rumors that Nigo, who is Pharrell's partner, longtime creative partner, and is the current designer of Kenzo, another LVMH-owned brand, would be the creative director and and there was a New York Times article last week that confirmed as much that Pharrell actually was pushing for Nego to get this job. But instead, they went with Pharrell. And there are a million reasons why it's a big deal. But the biggest reason is he is the first celebrity to get a role this big. There are mm-hmm. many celebrity fashion brands, Rihanna who is a collaborator of his. She's starring in the first Louis Vuitton campaign that he put together. She actually had a line for LVMH that was, you know, new and and upstart and it didn't work. This is the first time that someone of his level is getting a role of this level. And so it's a big deal. What is Pharrell's background in fashion other than still looking like he's extremely young and attractive and being very stylish and being in the culture. But does he have like experience doing design? Yeah, he does. And this sort of drove me crazy. I was actually on book leave when the news came out and I didn't have anywhere to write about this. I wasn't at Puck yet. I left my old job. I was just working on something totally different. And when the news came out, people were kind of like, oh, a celebrity is a creative director. It's the end of fashion designers, et cetera. And that's just total BS. He actually has had a fashion line, Billionaire Boys Club, yep. since 2003. And so I remember seeing in New York kids standing outside for that brand, like the sub-brand ice cream, probably 15 years ago, mm-hmm. long before they were standing outside of Off-White or even Supreme or whatever. Like the line for ice cream has been there for a long time. So he has a lot of experience doing this. And the thing that people need to remember is being a creative director and being a designer are two different things. You don't need to know how to fit a garment, although at this point he probably does. He's been doing this for so long, but you need to be able to give clear high-level direction and sign off on the end results and say yes Mm -hmm. or no and just be decisive. And he has proven over the years, he's had several businesses. He's done several collaborations with Montclair, with Louis Vuitton. He did a capsule collection with Chanel. He used to also be the ambassador, I think, in 2018. 18 or 2019 that was super successful. And so he actually does have 
the perfect background for this. This is a brand that is so giant. They need someone as big as it and also someone who can be a grown-up and work with a studio. He's brought in longtime collaborators to work with him in Paris. He moved his family there temporarily from Miami. So he's really there and working day to day. But Louis Vuitton also has an atelier of people, many of whom were put in probably like a year and a half ago, that these are high, high, high level professionals. And you have to be able to manage that. And the idea that, you know, in fashion, we were all speculating they were going to hire this like cool young designer, former CEO of Louis Vuitton, which was seen at Martine Rose's show. And he had gone to Virgil Abloh's off-white show before they chose Virgil. So it was like, oh, it's going to be Martine. And in the end, like, the brand is just too big for that now. Someone, a, a a young upstart designer can't go in and run this giant business. So he is really the perfect person for it. I think the, the question is, what does that mean today? What does Louis Vuitton want from him? Do they want a giant uptick in sales? Probably not. But I uh-huh. think the big thing is to keep that audience that Virgil Abloh brought in engaged. And that's not an easy task for anybody. Yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioned that the the criticism of him feels like BS. He created Billionaire Boys Club. You know, I'm the music dork here. Maybe you are too. But from his era of pop, hip hop and rap, him, Kanye, Pete Rock, maybe like DJ Premier, like these were rap producers who had a very clear, distinct sound, whether it was a song from Mystical or a song from Britney Spears. You knew that Pharrell was in there. And when you don't get to that level, that like Rick Rubin super producer level, without being able to work with many different personalities, a lot of high stakes, and have confidence and just tell these like big ego people like here's how you're going to make a hit and it's going to be a hit because I'm sprinkling my magic dust on it and like that puts him at a level where he's not just like a music guy he's a creative and an entrepreneur and there's certain like songs of his that feel cringe now and like maybe Pharrell to some people feels millennial cringe but like just reading about this in your piece on Puck it just feels like a nice fit. And I'm just a guy watching this from afar here in LA. Paris is a long way away, but I'm I'm excited about it now. But that's what fashion is. Fashion is millennial cringe. Fashion is not cool. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, it's not cool. There are a lot of judgmental people in fashion who are could be elitist or have very particular points of view, but it's not cool. And I think it's a really good point in the fact that you brought up Kanye because before Kanye had his total meltdown in the fall of 2022, he was also a name that kind of got brought up. I remember I was talking to someone who worked in corporate at Louis Vuitton in the US and they sort of, their information's always trickles down from Paris. It's not exactly the newest, but Kanye had yeah. like gone in there and they were like, oh, and I, I said, that's never going to happen because he can't get his shit together. He, he can't even design this collection for, it was before the gap collection had even come out and it was like he can't even get that together he's not going to be able to be a designer at Louis Vuitton but it's interesting and I don't know as much about music and their creative output and how it's different but Kanye definitely has a point of view I wouldn't say he's a good designer he tried to do a ready wear collection probably 10 years ago failed miserably he's had much Mm -hmm. more success with Yeezy and sort of 
taking ideas from other designers and artists like Vanessa Beercroft and Rick Owens, things like that, and and sort of making it his own. He's more of a stylist, I would say, but he doesn't have the whole package deal of under he he wants desperately to be taken seriously as a designer. Whereas I think Pharrell is like, I am who I am and I'm going to approach this with the creative capacity that I have. And that's why I think it's more likely to be successful. If they had hired Kanye, which they never would have, because mm-hmm. it would just like, it's just not, it's irresponsible. And, and the Arnos are, are responsible people, but if they had, it would be about him trying to like make a point and get something across. Whereas I think with Pharrell, it's going to be more about what can I do for the customer? He said a lot, I am the customer. And it's not a romantic way to think about fashion, but it is what fashion is now. It's merchandising. Mm-hmm. It's about making good products. And that's what Virgil Abloh really understood too. So it's it's interesting. I wonder if you compared all those guys you were talking about and their creative output outside of music, if it parallels. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited for this. Thanks, Lauren. I, I do want to say, Pharrell, if you're listening to this podcast... You know, you're clearly, I know Pharrell, you're going to be reading Lauren Sherman, but me, Peter, I would like to say to you, Pharrell, if you're listening, Lord Willen is my favorite album of all time and Hell Hath No Fury is extremely underrated. Thank you for all of your service, my friend. Have fun in Paris. (laughs) Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. When we come back, Bill Cohan is here to talk Elon. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Hey guys, it's Peter. When I'm not recording the pod, let's be honest, I'm probably snacking. I get hungry. But when I can steal some moments during the day, I do like to eat healthy. And eating better is easy with Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. And this is big, no cooking required. I recommend the smoothies. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. These are two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factors restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are are pancakes i love pancakes more than waffles more than french toast a couple of my favorites so far the red chili chicken tamale bowl and the smoky bacon and cheddar egg bites i love egg bites discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast midday bites and more no prep no mess meals factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping cooking or cleanup needed so sign up and save. Head to factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 and use code powers that be 50 to get 50% off. That's code powers that be 50 at factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 to get 50% off. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Ben Landy here with Bill Cohan. Hey, Ben. 
Bill, you've been uh, blowing up on Twitter for having the, the temerity to suggest on Puck.News that things are not going so well over at Twitter. The Musk defenders are really out in, in full force for this one. What's your evidence, Bill? What's the evidence that, uh, that, that, that Twitter's having a rough go? Well, I mean, uh, operationally, you know, I think that's sort of been well documented. The drop in advertising revenue has been uh, well documented. Of course, uh, I've been of the view that as soon as the deal closed, you know, at the end of October, that the equity was wiped out. Yet he way, 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 way overpaid for this, which, of course, why it was the easiest fairness opinion for Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan Chase representing the Twitter board to ever give. When the bank debt, Ben, $13 billion of bank debt, is valued around 50 cents in the dollar, then by definition implies that the uh, equity is wiped out, the $31 billion of equity, and so that's another $6 billion of bank value that's wiped out. So that's $37 billion of $44 billion wiped out uh, within weeks. You know, so that's been out there. I've been writing that for a while. Uh, our friends uh, over at Pivot, Kara and Scott, uh, we've all talked about that for months. But I think a few new things have been happening. You know, he's resorting to not paying the bills, the Twitter bills, which is incredible to me. Uh, you know, we're talking about the guy who's the world's richest man worth $230 billion, an increase of $100 billion this year alone, you know, to not pay the rent in Boulder, so the office in Boulder has to close. To stiff Joel Frank, the PR professional who, you know, I've known forever, who represented him on the Twitter deal of something like, you know, $850,000 to the point where she is suing him to not pay the jams arbitration professional, uh, mediation professional on the mediations with his former employees about, you know, after stiffing them, you know, not paying Google Cloud uh, for the cloud computing services what the heck is going on, Ben? I mean, especially when, you know, three creditors can get together and file a company for involuntary bankruptcy. So one never knows what this guy is up to. Of course, he doesn't respond to questions. You get the poop emoji if you try to ask him anything. So I don't know. It's just sort of have to wait and see. But it certainly seems like a very, very foolish, childish, and quite frankly, risky financial game that he's playing here. And that's even before, Ben, the bank debt trades, which is going to have to trade. The Fed is either going to force these banks to take the write downs of well below par value on this bank debt or sell it. Uh, And when they sell it, they're going to have to perfect their losses. And if it gets sold into the hands of people who buy this kind of debt at these kinds of discounts, the distressed players... Then Elon is really screwed, Ben, because those guys take no prisoners and would love nothing more than to own Twitter for $6 billion valuation uh, and you know perfecting Elon's loss of $31 billion or more. So, yeah, I don't get it. And so uh, I just felt, you know, we should, uh, you know, we here at Puck News should do uh, that service to our readers to let them know what was going on. Yeah, it is a weird and totally astounding situation. 
And by the way, it's not just the the Boulder office. I mean, I know there, there are Twitter offices all around the world where there have been interruptions in the rent being paid or, or the rent hasn't been paid at all. There are legal disputes right now for unpaid rent in San Francisco and in London. But Bill, just, just to back up for a second, you mentioned just now and in your piece that if a company has more than 12 creditors, that any three of them can get together and put a company into involuntary bankruptcy, or at least the, the involuntary bankruptcy proceeding. How does that actually work? Is there a real yeah. danger of that happening here, given the people who are actually holding that debt? I mean, there's always a danger of that. And guess what? It happens all the time. Involuntary bankruptcies are not unusual, Ben. They happen. They happen because a debtor is intransigent and he doesn't pay the bills as they become due and chooses not to negotiate some sort of uh, settlement. I mean, that's what happened basically any number of times to Donald Trump. That's what happens. Maybe that's a path that Elon wants to take here. But usually when that happens is, you know, the equity is wiped out and the creditors get control of the company. That's what happens in a bankruptcy proceeding. You know, you don't go into bankruptcy unless you fail to pay your debts as they become due. If you fail to pay your debts as they become due, that means there's no equity in the company and the equity is wiped out. And we're talking about $31 billion of equity here and $13 billion of debt, the $44 billion purchase price. And so I get it if you're a highly uh, leveraged company, you know, in an LBO situation, which this is. I mean, if you're charitable and say there was like a billion dollars of EBITDA once upon a time, then that's 13 times debt to EBITDA, which is very highly leveraged. So, but I mean, unless he's trying to buy the debt himself or going to inject more equity in to try to buy control of the company back with less debt. I don't understand what the game that he's playing here is. Maybe he just doesn't care, Ben. I mean, you know, he you know, he spent 24 of his own money, 7 billion of other people's equity, says 31 billion of equity to buy this company for 44 billion last October, and in the meantime, his net worth has gone up by 100 billion. So, you know, maybe he just doesn't care. And maybe it's just fun for him, I don't know. Might be. It is kind of fun. <laughs> it might be, and he he does seem to be genuinely sort of energized by the, the free speech issue, or at least the opportunity to push more speech that's to his liking. But Bill, let, let's get into that, that question you just raised of why this is actually happening, if there is some sort of three-dimensional chess explanation for why Elon's acting this way. You mentioned that there's something a little bit Trumpy in the way that Elon's been responding here, and, and maybe that is one explanation. I mean, Trump himself famously got away with stiffing vendors all the time over decades, and he continually evaded responsibility because it just wasn't worth the hassle or the money of suing a, a very wealthy and litigious man. The other option, which you had just noted recently, is um, possibly there is a silver lining for Elon in running down deliberately the value of this company such that he can buy back the debt at, at pennies on the dollar. Can you explain how that would work? I mean, you've been sort of putting forth this, this theory for a little while. I mean, do, do we think this is something that might happen Soon? Are we approaching a point at which Elon will be galvanized to sort of make that maneuver? Again, Ben, I'd, I'd love to talk to him about it, but you don't need to see the poop emoji in my inbox. You know, it's so confusing because he's doing two different things at the same time. Like he's paying the banks $300 million a quarter that he owes them in interest. And that's a lot of money, relatively speaking. So at the same time that he's stiffing on the rent, 
in Boulder, in London, in San Francisco, at the same time that he's stiffing Joel Frank $850,000, at the same time that he's stiffing Google, whatever he owes them on Google Cloud, he is paying the banks the interest that that he owes them. I mean, does that mean he thinks that if he pays the banks, he avoids bankruptcy, at least for another period of time, that he can't be put into involuntary bankruptcy by other creditors? Again, I don't know. So, I mean, he's paying $300 million every quarter and stiffing other creditors. I, I just you know, just I don't get it. In a weird way, Ben, if he's paying the interest on this bank debt, you know, even though the company is worth much, much less, right? You know, owning that bank debt, if you could buy that bank debt at 50 cents on the dollar, you know, say if I was like Apollo and you could buy that bank debt at 50 cents on the dollar or even 40 cents or 60 cents on the dollar, and then he continues to pay interest, that's going to be like a home run investment. Because if he's continuing to pay the interest and you got it at a big discount, well, then, then that's just like a home run. So in a weird way, the banks who own the debt, if as long as he's paying interest, they can say to the Fed, look, he's paying interest. You know, when it's due, maybe even though the company is worth much less than he paid for it, you know, this piece of paper is seems to be money good because he's paying interest on it. On the other hand, if he, by not paying other creditors, he makes it, in talking up that it was going to be in bankruptcy and then Fidelity, you know, marks down the value of its equity investment in Twitter by, you know, two thirds, still not to zero where it should be. But, you know, again, all these weird signals that he's sending to the market, if I were him and wanted to buy back the bank debt at a discount, then I would definitely be sending these weird signals to the market. Of course, I'd also not be paying the interest. So I don't know what the hell he's doing. It's confusing. He's a weird guy. Wait, but, but Bill, you said that it's the responsibility of the Fed as a regulator of the banks to typically come in and, and tell these banks, you've got to get that debt off your books. You've got to syndicate it. They haven't done that yet. Yeah. You think it's a possibility that banks could turn around and say to the Fed, look, this is actually a pretty good deal for us. You should let us hold on to it. Yeah, but nevertheless, the Fed is going to force them to sell it. Eventually. You know, they can, well, and soon. I mean, it's been eight months, nine months. I mean, they're in the moving business, Ben, not the storage business. They can't store this debt on their balance sheet for much longer. They got to get rid of it. So it's, it's going to have to trade soon. And when it does, we're going to see precisely what that discount is and who the buyers are. It better be Elon. If it's not Elon, <sighs> he's in trouble. He's totally in trouble, but who knows? Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he's just playing games. Maybe the whole thing's just a big joke. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll find out soon. Yeah. Bill, we've got to leave it there, but uh, thanks as always that this topic is endlessly fascinating. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll have Thank you back you. on here next week. Thank you, Ben. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Sell 
celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.